Hi, everybody. I'm Karen Hartglass. You're listening to It's All About Food. And here we are. It's the first week of November, autumn in New York. It's been absolutely beautiful. The last few days, we've had temperatures of 75, 76 degrees. Beautiful summer days, blue skies. Meanwhile, the leaves are turning all kinds of gorgeous colors, gold and reds. It's incredible. And yet all of this wonder and beauty and gorgeous weather, it's November. <laughs> and we have never had such hot temperatures in the New York metro area. Record temperatures on Sunday and Monday. 76 degrees. I'm here with Gary DiMattei. Hi, Karen. And we've been walking in this incredible weather. Unbelievable Unbelievable today. and beautiful. But what's wrong with this picture? What were you reading about today when you just mentioned that it's the, the hottest temperature on record? Is that true for November? It, it is indeed in the New York City, Long Island, Connecticut have all seen record temperatures. And I was speaking to people in California and it was like, what was it, 36 degrees or something? Yeah, the other a few day? days ago in the morning, it was like in the 30s. Crazy. You have to blame. Who can we blame? We want to talk about global warming, obviously. Global warming, climate change, whatever you want to call it. I like calling it climate crisis. And it just so happens that we're in the middle of COP27, delivering for people and the planet. This is from the 6th of November, which started a few days ago, to the 18th of November, where heads of state, ministers, negotiators, and climate activists, mayors, civil society representatives, and CEOs, they're all meeting in the Egyptian coastal city of Sharm el-Sheikh for the largest annual gathering on climate action. So this is happening right now? Happening right now. Unbelievable. Every year, these conferences go on. Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. And yet, not enough is promised. Not enough happens. And it's so frustrating because the science is clear and the media isn't doing their job and the politicians are not doing their job and the leaders of countries and states and governments, they are not doing their jobs. And today is election day, so vote them out. It's, it's complicated because we've got about half of the population, at least in the United States, who, I don't know how to say this nicely, I don't know how to say this diplomatically, but the problems that we're experiencing today with the economy and with the environment, they're difficult problems. And you have to look at history, look at a lot of different parameters. And most people just want to have immediate results and they want to blame people. So we've got half the population who sees the current government is doing a terrible job and we want to blame them for inflation in the economy. And it just doesn't work that way. Things are complicated. There are a number of things that are absolutely clear. And when we're talking about global warming, the thing that we're clear on is that animal agriculture is one of the primary causes to this climate crisis that we're experiencing. And how many times do you think you've said that on this program? Oh my God. <laughs> and not just me. I mean, there are plenty of climate activists and not all of them are promoting a vegan diet. 
But a lot right. of them are. I think the segue now to talk about this is really perfect if you now want to start talking about another hoax that's going on mm. in relationship to animal agriculture, and, and that's the clean meat hoax. Exactly, Gary. So what's really frustrating here is, as I just mentioned, the science is totally there about the causes of the climate crisis that we are in. And maybe some people don't even realize that we're in this climate crisis because it's not impacting their lives too dramatically. They're not in an area where there are floods or hurricanes or tsunamis or droughts. And unfortunately, many countries and tropical areas and island communities that are experiencing environmental problems, they barely contribute at all to greenhouse gases. It's the developed nations that do, but we're causing greater problems for other areas. It's all about money. It's all about capitalism. And it's all about short-term solutions. And I'm putting air quotes around solutions. And, and it's then, all about food. And it's all about food. So then we come up with, as you just mentioned, this cell meat, clean meat. Yeah, tell us about this clean meat. What is this? Give us an, a quick overview. I know you've had people on the show talking about it before, but now there's a clean meat hoax that I know you want to talk about. And this seems to be a good segue from what you're talking about with respect to climate change, global warming, animal agriculture being a major contributor of global warming. You're right. This is a good segue because... There are people in our movement that believe that this is the answer. It's not the answer. I want to highlight a website, if you haven't been there, cleanmeat-hoax.com. And perhaps we'll have some of the people from this organization on this show because I'd like to talk to them a little bit more in depth. They have YouTube videos and they've been at numerous conferences. The attraction behind clean meat, which is cell-based meat. Cell-based meat. There are so many different names. meat that is made by cloning cells. And yes, meat that's made in a vat, in a laboratory, in a factory, independent of animals. But they've they're using animal cells. Yeah, so there's this whole gray area about are animals being harmed or not, and they'll tell you that no, they're not, or no, they won't be, but... Yeah, so one of the things on the website says, on the Clean Meat Hoax website says, should animal advocates worry about the clean meat lobby? I won't read the whole response because you can go to the website and read it, but it, it's basically saying, yes, they should. Clean meat is a bad idea for animals, and for the environment, they should. Clean meat is a bad idea for animals... And for the environment. So we're looking to protect the environment. And right. we're looking to eliminate animal agriculture. And for many of us, many of us vegans, our primary reason for being vegan is to not kill animals. Right. So the people that promote cell meat will tell you this is the answer to save animals. But there's no evidence of this. The meat companies that have jumped on board and are supporting this cell-based meat, they see it as a complementary product. They don't see it as a replacement. And all of the evidence shows that people will continue to eat meat. This will keep people's taste for meat it's like the Beyond Burger and the Impossible Burger. They taste just like meat. So people are going to eat meat or this meat replacement as a, shall I say, as a gimmick? I mean, this is just another gimmick sure. to make money. Just another way for people not to solve the problem, but to just keep... The capitalists us, are looking for keep new people products. Addicted, keep people addicted to meat Absolutely. one way or another. But there's no evidence that shows that people are eating less meat. The way that the, the few companies out there that are controlling our food system and are 
promoting animal products, they're not seeing this as something that's going to take over their business. They're supporting it because they want to get a piece of the meat pie. <laughs> they want to get a piece right. of any business that's going to make money, but they're not looking to replace animal meat from the system. It's just crazy. So we're looking to solve the climate crisis. We'll see what happens between now and November 18th with COP27. Of course, I know what I'd like them to say, and I know they're not going what, what, to what say. What would that be? What would you like them to say? I would like them to say right away that they do not promote animal agriculture, and they want to phase out animal agriculture by a certain early date, and that governments will agree to support alternative industries to get people out of, to transfer people out from raising livestock and going to growing organic produce sustainably. One of the arguments in favor of clean meat is that they're telling the public that the animal rights movement has failed. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I don't feel the animal rights movement has failed. I feel, and I'm not the first person to say this, but the people that are promoting sell meat and clean meat, whatever you want to call it, I think they've failed. I think they failed in their own activism because you and I, we just went to Europe. And as I mentioned before, I was there in the early 90s. Nobody knew anything about veganism. Now it's everywhere. So it's been three decades, which seems like an eternity, but it's really not. And now the momentum, we're finally gaining tremendous momentum. And now is not the time to put all this energy and money into this crazy product. You know, I like to quote my dad whenever I can. He always had great expressions. And one of my favorite ones, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. What does this mean? We know what the healthiest food is for humans to eat. It's plant foods. We have phenomenal different kinds of cuisines now to make delicious vegan food, healthy vegan food. We can make incredible seasoned patties from beans and grains. We have a lot of recipes on our website. That are great. Yeah, the world burger. And the secret to a good burger, it's not necessarily the burger. It's the seasonings. It's the goo. It's the... It's the toppings. The toppings and... Yeah. How many times have we said that on this program? Yeah. I mean, I mean millions so of times. The, t the, the shortest distance between where we are now and where we want to be in terms of a society that is environmentally sustainable and people are eating healthfully so that the number of chronic diseases goes down instead of up. Everybody in the aging population, people that are 40 and 50 and 60 and on, they think high blood pressure is normal. They think that... Taking a pill will be... is the answer and they can or go Or taking out. 20 pills. Right. It's nuts. But we have the answers to all these things. We have the answer to reverse heart disease. We have the answer to reverse diabetes. We have the answer to reduce most cancers. We have the answer. And the same answer is the answer to climate change. The same answer is to being a kinder, gentler society. It's not about going in the wrong direction, not going in the direct direction to kind of going circuitously to help animals minimize the amount of animals that are killing which I don't really believe it's doing but it's going around not directly and creating some crazy product that we don't even know if it's going to work 
Doesn't make any sense. And already, according to the website, Clean Meat Hoax website, the clean meat lobby is seriously damaging, and there's a key word there, lobby, Mm. is seriously damaging the animal advocacy movement in critical ways, not least by obscuring the simplest, most direct way to create a sustainable, healthy, and ethical world food system, namely a plant-based, non-flesh-based, and I think that's what we're getting at here. We're talking about non-flesh-based foods, a non-flesh-based diet. I like that. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's so key. Right? Yeah. We're talking about going from a not a flesh-based diet, but a plant-based diet. And so they go on to say in these pages, and they're talking about their website again, you will learn how the clean meat lobby is undermining the cause of animal justice. So keeping flesh as the primary protein source is wrong. Is wrong. Ethically wrong. And yet there are some powerful animal rights advocates that are jumping on this clean meat hoax bandwagon, this clean meat bandwagon. And that's kind of scary, right? It is scary. And I don't want to judge them, but obviously I'm judging them. (laughs) I don't know what their true motivation is. They will tell you that they are vegan and they don't want to harm animals. And I believe that. But like I mentioned earlier, I believe they failed in their activism because they've now joined the dark side. And some of the arguments, again, based on the dark side, and I'm quoting this Clean Meat Hoax website again, but it's trivializing the lives and interests of animals in marketing materials and interviews. Basically, that's putting the movement back hundreds of years. I was listening to a YouTube video of a conference. They were talking about clean meat, sell meat. And one of the speakers was a scientist who was involved in making this sell meat. He started by making, he started in the medical industry, making heart muscle cells to help with people who needed heart replacements Mm -hmm. or whatever and the research that's going on there which is definitely a value no question about that but what he didn't understand as he was talking about the science he didn't understand the goal behind cell meat he saw it as an answer to feed the world to feed the world meat to feed the world what they need to to feed the world flesh flesh protein and just like a few decades ago when genetically modified food was forced upon us, there were scientists that were promoting genetically modified foods, feeling that they were doing something really good for the planet. And they they were genuine about this, genuine about their work, because they believed that these foods would help feed the world. But what they didn't realize, because they have blinders on and they they don't see the big picture, people are starving not because there isn't enough food, There's plenty of food. People are starving because there's a distribution problem. People are starving because they're poor. People are starving because the land that's near them is growing commodity foods like chocolate and coffee and not growing enough food to feed the people that are doing the work to grow the food that's being exported to richer countries. It's complicated. It's political. It has nothing to do with the quantity of food. So making genetically modified food is not going to solve the hunger crisis. And it's only going to add to growing food in a way that is not sustainable with monocropping, etc. Blah, 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 blah. And now with cell meat, we see the same thing. We see 
intelligent scientists who genuinely want to help the world and the planet, but they don't understand the big picture. And the clean meat lobby is also belittling vegans and <laughs> vegetarians and even depicting them, according to the website, as gormless losers. Now, I had to look up the word gormless because <laughs> I've never heard it before. Lacking intelligence or vitality, stupid or dull. I mean, wow. when a lobby is involved this powerful, there's a lot of money behind them. And yeah. isn't that what we're talking about? Yeah, we're, we're only we're, experiencing what we're experiencing today because of capitalism. Yeah, and they're exaggerating and misrepresenting the carbon footprint. They're helping destructive corporations greenwash and veganwash their products and reputations. They're praising as noble and strengthening the interests of the very companies who profit most from killing billions of animals, such as Tyson, Cargill, Purdue, and Smithfield. So this is some serious stuff. And there's a list here. Check out the website, everybody. Cleanmeat-hoax.com. It's sobering. <laughs> and it's time to fight back, as the website says. And I agree. And that's why we're spending some time on this. And what we do here at Responsible Eating and Living and on the It's All About Food podcast, one of the things we like to focus on is how to make healthy, delicious, vegan food. Because nobody needs to be deprived. This is the best food you could possibly eat. It's the most delicious, in my opinion. And, and I would have to agree with you. As a former meat eater, I'm responsible for global warming. I eat so much meat. <laughs> I don't miss it. I've never felt better. I say that all the time on this program. I've never looked better. I have a lot of energy. And I feel like I've made peace with food because I no longer harm animals to feed my face. I am not a gormless loser. Oof. Uh, even though I had to look up the word gormless. You know, the funny thing, thing about lobbyists is, I think, the way they describe the people that they're against, they really... Belittle them. Th but they they are describing themselves. Oh, exactly. But, I mean, you can only belittle someone who frightens you because they're right. When, when someone is right, and I think we're right and they're wrong, they're going to have to discredit us. They're going to have to belittle us. They're going to have to make us look like gormless losers exactly. in order to turn people away from the information, the science. What's the expression? First, they hate you, then they laugh at you, and then they follow you, something like that. But there is a an arc yeah. when you're evolving and, and going against the sure. whole brain. <laughs> Absolutely. I've lost a lot of friends by being vegan, and I guess they weren't friends to begin with. It's true that you lose some of your friends when you make this kind of transition, but yet it's funny sometimes because when they're in a health crisis... You're the first person they come to. Right. There are two ways you can say you lose your friends. One way is by them not wanting to be your friend. And the other way is by them continuing to eat the way they've eaten and the way you used to eat, meaning me, I used to eat. And then they start dying because they're still... And that's, <laughs> that's another way of losing them because they're still eating that that's way. That's true. But some of them come around and say, oh my God, I've got this illness and tell me about what you're eating. And how many times have you had to talk to people like that? It, it's almost daily, Gary. Daily. And your friends call you and ask you to talk to people. Yes, they do. So while we're here talking about this climate crisis and, and clean meat and the crazy things that are going on in the world... And gormless losers. Gormless losers. Like I us. Wanted, I want to 
shift now and talk about some of the incredible food that we're making here. Oh, yeah. That we want to share with you, especially as the holidays are happening. We've got some great it is that, food going It is on. that holiday time of year, isn't it? Even though you wouldn't know it in the city of New York because... It's as 76 earlier, degrees. It was a gorgeous 76 degrees. But it is that holiday time of year, everybody. We just had Halloween. Hope you had a wonderful Halloween. You got lots of vegan candy. Now we're coming up to Thanksgiving. Right. What's on the menu, Karen? <laughs> What's on the menu? Well, we haven't really decided what we're going to be doing this year. You know, we're tossing around some things, right? We don't know if we're going to be going out to dinner like we did a few years ago before the pandemic. When we went and celebrated Thanksgiving at Candle 79, which is no longer there. No longer. Uh, or if we're going to stay at home and just cook for you and I. We are going to have a celebration with your family a week early. Your sister's flying out from Florida. I'm sure a lot of folks are going to do that too because traveling on on Thanksgiving weekend is really... It's a nightmare. Sister's coming out. We're going to spend some time with your brother and, and his family. And, and we'll probably go to a restaurant and because your it's easier. And, yeah. You know, because Thanksgiving is about giving thanks and having family around to argue with and stuff. <laughs> Especially about today, the election day, you know. Oh, yeah. don't talk politics. Don't po talk politics with people because you'll just get pie in your face. And speaking of pie, let's talk about pies and squash and all kinds of other great things that we like talking about this yeah. time of year. Well, this is the thing that I love about Thanksgiving. Pie, especially. I, I do like sweet potatoes and mashed potatoes and turnips and things that are traditional Thanksgiving, but maybe we'll get away from tradition this year. I don't know, but I never want to get away from pie. We have such great pies on the Responsible Eating and Living website that you have created that are fan yes. Fantastic. And there are choices. What you are, can make a traditional apple pie, for example, that's got full of fat and full of sugar and is yummy, delicious, and rich and decadent. Or you can make a variation, which is also delicious, but cuts back and either has a little sugar or no sugar at all. Yeah, let's talk about that because that's, you know, that's really, really cool because you just said yummy and delicious and rich and decadent. And I think your pies that cut back on sugar and fat are yummy, delicious and rich and decadent too, but they're not as harmful to your heart. <laughs> exactly. So I love the whole apple pie concept, but there's a number of things that I like about apple pie. I like the fresh taste of an apple. And when I make an apple pie, for example, I buy organic apples. Right. And I don't peel them. Now there's a lot of benefits for this. It's a lot easier to make an apple pie and not peel the apples. But the peel has all the nutrition. And when you cook the apple, you don't know there's a peel on it. It gets soft. It's not annoying and chewy in the pie it softens up just like the rest of the apple and i actually like it because i don't usually add a double crust i don't need that much crust on my pie and i like to see the apples and depending on the apple you use if you use a red colored apple or a pink colored apple or a green skin colored apple and you leave the skins on your pie will have a little color to it. 
Yeah, it's delicious. And it's beautiful. It's delicious and it's beautiful. I agree. So many great pies that we have. So that's just apple. Well, I mean, how many apple pies do we have on the website? We have, I don't know, three or four. Yeah. Yeah. There's the classic French tart, which is delicious. The deep dish apple pie, gluten-free. Let's talk about gluten-free crust. A lot of people are afraid of it. What is your secret? We have a bunch of gluten-free pie crusts on the website. I go back and forth between two of them. One uses an all-purpose gluten-free flour and some vegan butter, confectioner sugar. You blend it all up in a food processor. Couldn't be easier. It rolls like a dream. You need parchment paper or wax paper. You know, people who are afraid to roll their own pie crust, don't be. You just need parchment paper or wax paper. Two sheets. And one of these great recipes that's flawless. And you make the dough, you roll it between the two sheets, you peel, gently peel off the top sheet, and then you gently or carefully kind of flip flip it and put it over a pie plate. You could put the pie plate upside down and then flip it together. Yeah, Whatever everybody has their own comfortable way with. to do it, right? And then carefully peel off the sheet. And if any of it rips or tears, this pie crust is so forgiving. You just kind of pinch it all back together. It's, it's easy peasy. All right, so on the website, you have the classic French tart au pomme with the skins on. Yes. And you have a tarte au pomme. And it looks like the skins are off. So you can go either way, right? Yes. Well, because one of those has like an applesauce under mm-hmm. the slices. So originally I used to make a tarte pomme with just apples sitting on the crust. Now I like to make a little applesauce first that I put underneath and then have the apple sit on top of it. Yeah. It's just a per- personal preference. And as you said just now, and as you say in the recipe, they don't need to be peeled if they're organic. If the apples are not organic, it's best to peel them to avoid the concentrated residues of pesticides. Which I like to call biocides. Biocides. Because they're killing us, folks. Right. <laughs> they're causing a lot of problems. You also use in the classic tart au pomme version two, you also use Granny Smith apples. I think that the best thing about it is you use our fantastic apricot butter as a sweetener. And I love the apricot butter. It's a staple here at Responsible Eating and Living. And it's just dried apricots and water, but it sweetens things up so well. It's really a great way to sweeten things. So if you really have to have sweet, sweet, sweet things and you wanna cut back on sugar, Cut back all the sugar and make some of our apricot butter this holiday season. What's nice about it too is it's a light color. So you can add it to things and as opposed to like prune butter or something, which is dark. Yes. And we also use dates a lot. Or date su- paste. Yeah. Which is dark. Date, dates sweeten things. But yeah, if you, don't, if you want that lighter color, the apricot butter works really well. And the wonderful thing about cutting back on sugar is that you can eat more pie. (laughs) You can eat a lot more pie. But we also have pies on the website that use sugar. So if you have to have that sugar, you can check out some of the other pies. And we have the classic pumpkin pie. We do. And we have a purple sweet potato pie. 
The picture on the website is just gorgeous and the pie is delicious. Purple sweet potatoes, not sure if you have them in your grocery store. If you do, this is a wonderful recipe. And it uses coconut milk and a lot of that date paste we talked about, a cup and a quarter. Yeah, and if you don't want to use date paste, you can use sugar. Or you can use apricot butter. Or you could use apricot butter. You you have alternatives. But what I wanted to say about purple sweet potatoes, and if they're not available in your local market, I believe you can search for them online and have them shipped to you. Right. But I learned some years ago that there was some research that showed that purple sweet potatoes actually can destroy cancer stem cells. Wow. Now, this is exciting information. It doesn't mean that eating a purple sweet potato is going to destroy all the cancer in your body if you happen to have cancer. But it's one of these foods that offers a lot of good nutrition and builds your immune system. Oh, yeah. And and can do very good things for your body. And I love the taste of the purple sweet potato. And they're yummy. They're so good. You can actually microwave a, a purple sweet potato and it tastes like a donut. <laughs> That's the first time we had them. It seriously <laughs> tastes like, like a, a donut. donut. Well, because it has a dry, denser I'm, consistency. We were on the road and we didn't have an oven, but we had a microwave and we put one in. We put a purple sweet potato in the microwave and it came out and tasted like a donut. <laughs> it was fantastic. I was... I was tempted to dip it in my tea, but I didn't. Now, on Thanksgiving, we always talk about squash and how we mm. like to. Yeah, and everybody's stuff got recipes now. They've got butternut squash soup for Thanksgiving. There's all kinds of butternut squash recipes floating around now butternut ravioli, butternut risotto, butternut, butternut, butternut. But we've taken them and we've stuffed them and we've baked them. I just think they're beautiful, like a set. You want to have a centerpiece for a Thanksgiving table. Yeah. And it's just beautiful. The red curry squash, one of our favorites. A classic it's now. It's a classic here at Responsible Eating and Living. It's just a, it's just a classic. And we have all these great stuffing recipes. And one of them we've, we've used keeps in the tradition of what you like to call the three sisters, right? We have a stuffing yep. of beans and grits or polenta, but it's, it's corn. And a lot of people use bread. But we like to use some some polenta when we make a stuffing, or at least I do, and use that to stuff the red curry squash and the butternut squash. And So the corn, the bean, and the squash are the three sisters. Right. Because they complement each other when they're growing. Right. They help each other grow, and they use each other, the shade and the stems, and it's really a beautiful... And this is when you don't use pesticides and herbicides and biocides to control your garden. This is when you need to plant things that are going to grow cooperatively. And exactly. that's what the three and sisters are And you know what? Another about. thing about squash that people may not know, you really want to get organic squash because squash tends to soak everything up and can really absorb a lot of toxins from those biocides. Just like fish. <laughs> Just like fish, exactly. Right. So you get like extra concentration. I don't know if there's been studies on the amount of residue in squash, but a lot of farms use squash to kind of clean up the soil when they're done farming because it has this 
characteristic. So you want organic. Yes. That's all I'm saying. Well, you're, you're talking some good talk here, Karen, and you're making me hungry. So okay. squash and pies. Now, there's a lot of folks who are going to say, and again, just one more word about the main event, that they need a main event like a turkey to dazzle the crowd that's coming over. And if you look at our website and you find our recipe for baked red curry squash, it is gorgeous and it's it will serve as a main event. You can decorate it with lots of little new potatoes or some baked little crab apples, whatever you want to dress it with, and it's gorgeous. We stuff a lot of different squashes at this time of year. Acorn squashes and and what is the one we just bought? A green kombucha squash. Those are so good. Yeah, we just bought one and I'm looking forward to baking this. Moving on from Thanksgiving, Gary. Yes, let's, let's move just on. talk about celebration foods or party foods. Well, you know, and we could also talk about it as an alternative. Absolutely. Food at your Thanksgiving. Could be at Thanksgiving. Right. Or any celebration. We were just in Paris. <laughs> And we went to a Michelin-starred restaurant at the Hotel Brach. In the 16th arrondissement. And And the restaurant is called The Restaurant. Our friends Paula and Michael took us to this beautiful restaurant. It was dazzling and so loud. And people... It was very lively. It was a big restaurant and very lively. And it was just gorgeous. And people were celebrating everywhere. And they brought cakes, these little gorgeous cakes to people's tables who were having birthdays. And there were fireworks on top of the cake. I've never seen fireworks shooting that high in a restaurant before. Everything was surreal. It was so gorgeous. But we were there and we had to pinch ourselves. And we were wondering, well, is there going to be anything for us to eat at this, this restaurant that's serving a lot of meat? And it turned out that they had a lot of vegan options. Why is that? I remember you telling me about the chef that worked there who's from Algeria. Right. And the restaurant has Middle Eastern influences. Right. And many of the appetizers are classic metze dishes. You've got hummus and... Oh my God. The best hummus in the world. I think. Well, not really. Maybe. <laughs> it, was, it was a very nice hummus. It was light. It was very fluffy. Very light and fluffy. Full of just great flavor. I think they used zatar. Zatar and sumac. And sumac. Yep. It, was, it was really... It was beautiful wo- and very tasty. Wonderfully done. And some of the greatest olive bread I have ever eaten mm. in my life. Mm-hmm. We it were was, eating a lot of bread. <laughs> Well, we were we were uh, eating a lot of bread, but we we were on vacation, and that Europe. was one of the things we yeah. said we would do. Right. But and there was another dish. Yes, let's talk about this dish. I'm I'm leading up to this dish now. Drum roll! It was the muhammara, which is a red pepper puree, and it has some interesting ingredients in it. And we were talking about it on this show about a month ago when I had Debbie Adler on the program. She was talking about her new cookbook, The Mediterranean Plate. Mm. And she has a muhammara recipe in her book. I didn't make that one. I made my own version based on the kinds that we've tried at the Brock and a variety of places and looking at other people's recipes. And I came up with my own. And we just had it because I was so inspired to make it 
not only after talking to Deb about her cookbook and her recipes, but when we were at the Brock, I remembered I had had this dish a few times before and I never really knew about it or what was in it. I just knew it was very yummy. And it's beautiful. The color red is gorgeous. How did you get it that red? And Yeah. So last here, night we had it for dinner here at the Responsible Eating and Living Headquarters. <laughs> and it was beautiful, just like at the Brock. Right. And, and Muhammara. It, it actually tasted better. It's a red pepper puree. So I roasted red peppers. I just threw them in the oven on 400 for about a half hour until they started to blacken a little bit on the outside and get soft. And then I removed them. Let them cool a little bit and then cut them open, remove the seeds. Did you remove the skins? And then I peeled off the skins. And when you roast them and they get soft, the skins come off pretty easily. You just want to wait till it cools because it can be pretty painful <laughs> handling a hot pepper. Yeah, the Italians, the ancestors roasted a lot of peppers. And one of the tricks that they do, and maybe you've heard of this, folks out there and listening to this. Once you roast the peppers and they blacken, you put them in a paper bag, mm. seal the bag, and they sweat. Mm. And then you remove them from the bag. I don't put them in a bag because I don't trust the paper bag being right. clean. Where has that paper been? I put them in a pot and I put a lid on the pot oh, and sweat them that too. way and let them cool that way. But anyway, you did it without doing any of that because you're a super chef. <laughs> But you could also buy a jar of roasted peppers. Oh, wow. That's cheating, though. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I no, roasted the peppers. And then in a food processor, I mix them with some fresh garlic. I put in a little cumin and some red pepper flakes and walnuts. Walnuts instead of the 12 cups of olive oil that we had at the... Hotel broth. Well, but walnuts are traditionally used in this recipe. Oh, it's really? Red peppers and walnuts. I thought Bellet. it was pine. I thought it was pine nuts. No, not in this recipe. Oh, it's on the menu, on the menu at the broth, it was pine nuts. Okay. It's it's traditionally made with walnuts. Walnuts. No wonder it was so much better than the broth. You should get two Michelin stars <laughs> for this Mahamara. There's a secret ingredient, and it's called pomegranate molasses. Mmm, delicious. And I read about it, and it's like in every Muhammara recipe. Where do you I, get it? Where do you get it, and what is it? So you can buy it, apparently. But why buy it? That's, like, too easy. <laughs> <laughs> and plus, I wanted to control the ingredients. So, I so what did you online. do? How did you make pomegranate molasses? It's basically just pomegranate juice that is heated and you reduce it down and most recipes have it with a little lemon juice and sugar mm -hmm. now i never made it before so i wanted to make it the traditional way before i start playing around with it so my first time making pomegranate molasses i used organic pomegranate juice a little lemon juice organic of course and some organic cane sugar Evaporated cane juice. But you only used, what, a couple of tablespoons? It was very little, yeah. Okay. Because so, it's pretty sweet by itself. There is a little tartness to it. So it's I, Well, pomegranate juice is very tart to begin with. Is it? Very tart. Because yeah. I've been 
drinking it. Well, it, because you have a sophisticated palate, Gary, wh- and you're not you're not but accustomed see, to eating sweet food anymore. How wonderful that is that you have a sophisticated palate. Your palate <laughs> can be cleaned up. Trust me. Mine used to be dead. It's alive again. Yes. So I made the pomegranate molasses. Came out beautiful. Oh, it certainly did. And you just add a few tablespoons to and this I red pepper worth- puree and it... It gives us really subtle but delightful flavor. Yeah, and I think that's where that beautiful red color comes from. And it enhances the red pepper color. It's such an amazing dish, especially around the holidays. You just add a touch of green for that, and it's Christmas time on a plate. (laughs) And it's like, move over, hummus. Muhammara is here. Or it'd be a great... (laughs) It'd be a great... Compliment to a plate of hummus, too, because it would just be gorgeous. Yes. Well, what I made for dinner last night yeah. was we had our own mette platter of the muhammara. I made some baba ganoush, and the way we make it here is very simple. It's roasted eggplant. I roasted it at the same time I roasted the peppers. I cooked it a little longer because the eggplant is bigger and needed more cooking time. And you scoop out the soft interior, and I blend it with lemon juice and tahini. Right. Boom. No olive oil, no salt. Delicious. And it's light and creamy. The French call it eggplant caviar. That was delicious. And then we had traditional hummus, of course. Hummus is hummus. And then I made something that I don't make very often, and I don't know why I don't make it more often, but it's the mujadara. Oh, yeah, that was good. And that's cooked lentils with rice and caramelized onions. Really good. And normally, of course, it's made with a lot of olive oil and salt. I just cooked it without olive oil. I caramelized the onions without oil. And, of course, I always make (laughs) modifications. We had had rice a few days ago, so I didn't use rice. I used quinoa. We didn't have... Yellow onions, which are traditionally used. We had red onions, so I used red onions. And, of course, there was no olive oil. We had a little bit of tahini dressing that was uh, very thin. And it was perfect because I just poured it over the lentils and quinoa and made a mini substitution. (laughs) Muhadara. Muhadara. We were talking about possibly having an untraditional Thanksgiving and maybe doing medze. And so t- last night was a test, a trial run. And I'm, I'm hoping we can keep practicing up until we decide on what our menu is going to be for Thanksgiving. Well, there was one last thing that I made. And we've made it, I think, three times this week because we're really digging it. This is my favorite. We went to a place in Nice that we didn't stop in eat in but we saw them make you know there's pizza places all over Europe but then we kept walking by this one place and it was soca soca they but, make ve- and it's vegan and it's vegan and so they they have this thick really thick bread that's made from garbanzo bean flour and it they have a fire, wood fired oven and they put it in and it it was it looked delicious and I'm really sorry we didn't try it but Go ahead, tell them what, what else we made, and this kind of 
So falls, I was kind of inspired after all the pizza and focaccias and socas and things we saw in Europe. I wanted to go back to an old recipe that we have at Responsible Eating and Living, which is garbanzo bean flatbread. And it's just garbanzo bean flour and water, really. You mix it together and you get the... And little herbs and spices. and It's a consistency that's thick, like heavy cream. And you put it in a pan lined with parchment paper and you pour it in and you bake it for about a half hour. In and a really makes, hot oven, like a 400... And it makes a nice flatbread. But I just thought, I'm going to add a little baking soda. So to two cups of garbanzo bean flour and about a cup and a half, a cup and three quarters of water. And I'll tell you about the herbs and spices I used. And a half a teaspoon of baking soda it has completely changed this recipe. The baking soda has completely changed and elevated this recipe to a place we've never gone before. It lightens it up and, it, and it's not as flat. It's maybe a half an inch, three quarter inches thick. And sometimes we can slice it uh, inside. Yeah. So we have two pieces because it's thick enough to make a mm-hmm. sandwich. But it's really good. I like to season it with two teaspoons of coriander, ground coriander powder, a teaspoon of onion powder. We have za'atar, which is a a mixture of seasonings. And if you can't access za'atar, you could use a teaspoon of oregano. It has a similar flavor. And you can add other herbs and spices. And I sprinkled some sunflower seeds on top. You could sprinkle sesame seeds or whatever seeds you like. And baked it for a half hour. And this is a spectacular flatbread. And if you don't like garbanzo bean flour, chickpea flour products, these seasonings take away that beany flavor. Delicious. I mean, we've always loved this flatbread. It was inspired from a recipe in Eric Tucker's Millennium so. Cookbook. Yeah, uh, it's so simple. It's it's scary how simple it is, but adding that half a teaspoon of baking soda has made it a really wonderful bread. Yeah. So we've had it three times this week. <laughs> and this is what we smeared the muhamara. And the hummus and the baba ganoush on, and it was a wonderful trial run for a possible alternative Thanksgiving menu. The first time I made it, we used it for avocado toast. Unbelievable. Yeah. Delicious. Lots of options. And how good are garbanzo beans for you? Garbanzo beans are good for you. Another product that must be organic. I know organic is more expensive, but industrial chickpea flour, garbanzo bean flour, where the beans have been grown with biocides. They have residues that you don't want to be consuming. So please go the extra mile, buy organic, support organic. In the long run, it will save you money and save your life yeah so that's what we're recommending for yeah so foods so a non-traditional a non-traditional thanksgiving dinner for us would be would be not having the the mashed potatoes and not having the whipped yams or the 
other things, all of the sides and, and the main event of the stuff squash, we're thinking about it and we'll keep you posted. You know, Thanksgiving is a great time to go plant-based. It really is. And there's a lot of alternatives to turkey out there that simulate turkey, that aren't made from flesh cells, that are pretty good. Karen has had... Seth Tibbet on. Seth Tibbet. Talking about tofurkey. He's an awesome, wonderful, kind man. And that stuff is great. If you're trying to transition, get some of Seth Tibbet's tofurkey. Does he even still own tofurkey? He does. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. He has not sold out. You smother it in some gravy made with vegetable stock, which we have a recipe on Responsible Eating Living website for a mushroom gravy and a non-mushroom gravy. Throw it on there. Mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, cranberry sauce. You aren't going to be missing any of the dead bird. So there's a few more things I want to touch on before we go because we're almost at the end of the program, believe it or not. Yes. And one thing is that I recently learned about, maybe you've heard about it. I got a press release announcing the winners of the fifth annual International Vegan Film Festival. Wow. I didn't even know there was an International Vegan Vegan Film Festival. I'm so excited to know about it. And the virtual portion of the festival began yesterday and will continue until November 21st. How exciting. It is. And, you know, we love the arts. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And I think films are some of the greatest way for people to learn about reality and to get themselves moved enough to act. And, you know, you... We're talking about this earlier today before we went into our broadcast that you can remember back to a time where there were no vegan films, maybe just one or two. There was Diet for a New America. John Robbins's book was put into a film version. By PBS. They made a film of it. And that was the only film. That was the only film. Yeah. Maybe Dr. Clapper, you were also mentioning. Dr. Clapper put put together some films. These videos, health videos. And they were informative, but they weren't slick. Very few. And now so many of them. So let's talk about some of the ones that are in this vegan. Yeah, I want to talk about the winners and the comp and the category. So the one that I think you'll be interested in seeing, Gary, is the vegan theme feature film Slay, directed by Rebecca Capelli. Yes. Investigative filmmaker Rebecca Capelli travels around the world to uncover the dark side of the fashion industry. Ooh, you're right. I would like that. Spanning five continents, Rebecca's journey of discovery unravels a harrowing story of greenwashing, mislabeling, animal cruelty, and cover-ups from some of the world's major luxury fashion brands. I have to see this film. I know. The judge's statement. Throughout the film, several impactful standalone statements really make you stop and think. In addition, nicely woven interviews cover the interconnectivity of the various issues. I'm just laughing here because they're talking about fashion (laughs) and the judge's words were nicely woven. (laughs) That's that's great. Okay, but there was an animal advocacy short called Where Does KFC Chicken Come From? Directed by Christopher Shoebridge, another winner. It's about a 
VFC teamed up with filmmaker Chris Shoebridge to carry out an undercover investigation into KFC's farming practices. Following KFC's promotion of a video with YouTube Nico Omilana, in which they boasted of their high welfare standards, Chris, VFC, and their investigations team were able to identify exactly the same farm used in KFC's promotional video and conducting an investigation to find out what the conditions were really like. Wow. And the judge's statement? The storytelling techniques used were very engaging, creating a film about animal suffering that isn't too graphic, while still powerful, is quite a skill, and this film really nailed the balance. And that was for... Animal advocacy. So there are films on environmental protection, eating our way to extinction. There's health and nutrition, grounded in my roots. There's lifestyle, why I'm vegan. There's a public service announcement, kangaroos are not shoes. Oh, that's a great title. Directed by Derek Ambrosi. We're going to have to see all of these, Gary. We certainly are. And not only do they have films, but this film festival has also awarded cookbooks that have come out in 2022. The first is Plant-Based India by Sheil Shukla. Sounds really good. Yeah, next one was Epic Vegan Quick and Easy. That's something I should read by Dustin Harder about how to not use more than one pot, (laughs) which I need help with. When Gary cooks, which is all the time, he uses every pot in the kitchen. Yeah, sorry about that, Karen. (laughs) Yes, and the third place winner was Good for Your Gut, Plant-Based Digestive Health Guide and Nourishing Recipes for Living Well. That's by Desiree Nielsen, and she's a registered dietitian, and she explains gut health. We all need to know more about gut health and how it's connected to your mind and your body. Yeah, I like to think of the gut as the final frontier. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Anyway, that's the International Vegan Film Festival. We'll be checking it out, and I hope you do too. Yes, check out the website. Uh, We'll probably have a link to that on today's page. Indeed we will. It is www.vegan.com. T-H-E-I-V-F-F dot com. V-I-V-F-F dot com. Okay, a couple of more things and then we're out of here. Can I tell you? Yeah, you have something really exciting exciting. to tell us. I will be starting a new podcast very soon. En français. In French. A new podcast in French. Now, I don't know how many of you would be interested in listening to something in French. You have to understand it in order to get something out of it. But when we were in Europe, I reconnected with some people whose daughter, I learned, is vegan. And when I first met her decades ago, she was just a little girl. And now she's a grown woman and a mom and a vegan. And we have a lot of great information that we are going to be sharing to Francophones. And I'll be telling you more about that coming soon. That is so exciting, Karen. Karen Harklass going international here at Responsible Eating and Living. I can't wait. I can't wait. The last thing is we are having a book giveaway. I don't have the logistics worked out here, but I just want you to know, after doing this podcast since 2009, we have a lot of books. 
a lot of books. A lot of books. And, many and you've of read them, them all, Karen. I, I have read them, and many of them are in excellent condition, like new. And I don't want them. I've read them. I want other people to read them. You want other people to have them so and there, share them. So there are about 200 of them, and I want to give them away. Uh, obviously, we're in the New York City metro area, so I'm looking for a place where we can drop them off or somebody can pick them up. But if you know of an organization or a school, school a prison, it, it, I've been looking on the sites that used to send books to prisons, but since the pandemic started, it, I haven't found any that are willing to take books. So I need some help here. And if you know, if you have any leads for me, I would really appreciate it because I want these books read and I want them put to good use. Thank you. One last thing. Check out the blog, What Vegans Eat is back. Right now, Karen is blogging about our 25-day European adventure. And we are really, really, really excited about this. It's really got a lot of great pictures, a lot of fun information about things that we had done that you might find useful because travel is up. Everybody's going away. Everybody's getting back out on the road. And this might help you if you're vegan and need places to eat in the places that we visited. We ate well. We did. All right. That's awesome. Hey, Gary, thank you. This has been Karen. fun, huh? Yeah, this is great. I look forward to the next time I get to sit and chat with you. It's always good to chat with you. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays, everybody, and have, have a, a delicious, delicious week. week.